بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Alhamdulillah, it's my pleasure to be back with you and your community to continue with the tafsir classes that we had started last year. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this a source of blessing for me and for all of you. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala benefit us from the knowledge that we learn. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to implement these beneficial lessons in our lives. Inshallah, tonight I want to start with the tafsir of an amazing surah, a beautiful surah. And this is the surah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called the best story in the Quran. And I'm sure many of you have guessed that it is Surah Yusuf. Surah Yusuf is, is such a beautiful surah. It tells the story of a great prophet of Allah. And it basically tells the story of the life of Yusuf alayhi salam from his childhood up to the time that he became a prophet, up to the time that he went to Egypt, up to the time that he became basically the de facto ruler of Egypt. So it's an amazing story. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the life of this great prophet Yusuf alayhi salam in the different stages that he went through. And because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about all of these different stages in this surah, there are so many lessons that we can learn at each stage from the childhood of Yusuf alayhi salam when he first had this amazing dream that he told his father. His father told him not to narrate this dream to his brothers because he feared that the brothers of Yusuf السلام, would be jealous of him. And that's exactly what happened. They were jealous of him. So this surah, it teaches us the danger of jealousy and how jealousy can lead a person to do terrible things, things that he would not normally do. So we learn about the destructive nature of jealousy. We also learn about patience, the patience of Yaqub being separated from his beloved son Yusuf alayhi salam for so many years. The patience of Yusuf alayhi salam being unjustly accused of a crime that he didn't commit and being unjustly imprisoned for so many years. We learn about patience through these calamities that they went through. We also learn about the beauty of forgiveness that Yusuf alayhi salam's brothers, they put him through such a difficulty, but still at the end, Yusuf alayhi salam, he forgave them. So we learn about the, the beauty and the power and the greatness of forgiving others, even if they have done a great injustice upon you. We also learn how a person should act in a position of weakness and how he should act in a position of power as well. From the different stages of the life of Yusuf, السلام, he went through stages of weakness. When he was in prison, he was weak. Right? How did he deal with that situation? And then when he got out of prison, he became very powerful. He suddenly became very powerful. He was in jail and as soon as he was released from jail, the king appointed him in a position of great power. So how did he deal with that power? So we learn from this story both how to, how to live in a situation if you're weak and also how to live in a situation if you're powerful, right? So this, this surah, it's just full of gems. It's full of, of beautiful lessons and it's full of, of relatable incidents that you know, we, can, we can reflect on our own lives through these incidents and we can implement the lessons that we learn from this surah in our own life. So it's a, it's a very useful study uh, to do the tafsir of this surah. There, there's so many benefits, practical benefits that you can get in your own life and you can learn uh, from the life of Yusuf alayhi salam. So inshallah, we'll start with the tafsir of this surah today and we'll go over this surah over the next few weeks. So this surah, Surah Yusuf, is a Makki surah. It is a surah that was revealed to the Prophet in Mecca. And most of the, the surahs that tell stories of prophets or of past nations, most of these surahs are actually Makki surahs, right? Because during the time that the Prophet and his companions were in Mecca, most of the verses that were revealed during that period of time, they were not verses uh, of fiqh, meaning there, they were not verses uh, that had detailed descriptions of how to do different types of worship. Like, like for example, the, the, the verse that tells you how to fast in Ramadan. That was revealed in Medina. The verses of Hajj, those were revealed in Medina. 
right? The verses of how to uh, do different types of business transactions and, 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 you know, the importance of writing down a loan and these type of things. This was revealed in Medina. So these, the verses about fiqh and, you know, detailed descriptions of ibadah and detailed descriptions of mu'amalat, of dealings, those were mostly revealed in Medina. But as for Mecca, because the, the Muslims at that point, they didn't have a state and they, they didn't have, you know, a, a, a position of power. They were actually under the Quraysh, right? They were, they were under the oppression of the Quraysh during that time. So, so during that time, most of the verses that were revealed were verses to strengthen the iman of the believers, strengthen their tawheed, strengthen their belief in the oneness of Allah, the power of Allah, right? So that they, that they could have that strength. They really needed that strength at that time because they were under so much tyranny and under so much oppression. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he revealed verses that would strengthen their iman. And from those verses that strengthen your iman are verses that talk about stories of previous prophets, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he actually tells the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَكُلَّنَّ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَائِهَا مَا نُثَبِّتْ وَكُلَّنَّ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَائِ الرُّسُولِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, you know, these stories that we tell about prophets, these stories that we tell you about messengers, this is to make your heart firm, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the stories of previous prophets. Yeah, they went through difficulties too. They went through very hard times, but in the end, they persevered. In the end, they had the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they were always successful, alhamdulillah, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells these stories in order to strengthen the iman of the people. That even if you're going through difficulties, look, people in the past, great people of the past, people whom were beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, prophets of Allah, messengers of Allah, they all went through hardships and they all went through difficulties, but they remained patient upon those difficulties. And in the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them relief and he gave them success, right? So especially if you're going through a hard time, and you read about these stories of prophets, this is something that strengthens your iman and it strengthens your reliance upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these stories, these, these surahs, which contain stories of previous nations, like Surah Yusuf, Surah Yunus, uh, Surah Hud, you know, these stories that tell the stories of prophets, these surahs were generally revealed in Mecca because that's what the Muslims really needed at that time. They needed something that would strengthen their, their iman and that would keep their hearts firm upon the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while they were living under difficult circumstances, while they were living under this oppression and this, uh, this tyranny from the Quraysh. All right, so now getting right into the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts this surah with the letters Alif Lam Ra. Right? And there are a number of surahs in the Quran which start with letters. Like Surah Al-Baqarah starts with Alif Lam Mim. Surah Yusuf starts with Alif Lam Ra. There are other surahs that start with Ha Mim. Surah Maryam start, starts with Kaf, Ha Ya Ain Saad. Surah Al-Qalam starts with Noon. Surah Qaf starts with Qaf. Surah Saad starts with Saad. Yasin. Right? So there are a number of surahs throughout the Quran that start with these letters. Right? Now, what, what is the significance of these letters and what do these letters mean? So there is nothing uh, that can be attributed to the Prophet ﷺ regarding the exact meaning of these letters. Nobody can say for sure what Alif Lam Ra actually means or what Alif Lam Mim actually means, right? So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put these verses in the Quran if we don't even know the meaning of them isn't the, the the purpose of the quran to read upon to read it and to reflect upon it and to gain insight from it so how can we gain insight from verses or letters that we don't even know what they mean if we don't know what something means how can we benefit from it right this is a question that may arise like if you don't even know what this means how are you going to derive benefit from it and the answer to that is the whole quran Every single letter, every single verse, every single word is beneficial. So even these letters that we don't know the meaning of them, they have benefit in them. And what is the benefit that we can easily extract from these letters? Many of the ulama have said that the significance of these letters that come at the beginning of certain surahs is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is showing us and he's, he's, he's bringing our attention to the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. 
He's bringing our attention to the fact that this Quran, it cannot have been written by a creation. It, it's not the word of man. It's not the word of human beings or jinns or any creation. This is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how do these letters help us to reflect upon that? That this is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How does it help us reflect upon that? The ulama have mentioned that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts these letters at the beginning of a surah, it's like a challenge to the disbelievers. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Alif Lam Ra. Alif Lam Ra. People, Arabs, they know these letters. They use these letters in their own speech, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's basically challenging the people that this Quran, it is a Quran that is in the Arabic language. And you people, the disbelievers of the Quraysh and the Arabs, you, you speak the same language. You have access to these same letters. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his speech, the Quran, it's in Arabic, right? So the speech of the Arabs, the speech of the Quraysh, it's also in Arabic. The same letters are used. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's challenging the people. Alif Lam Ra. These are letters that are known to you. You use these same letters in your speech. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used the same letters in his own speech as well. So you have access to the same letters, the same language, the Arabic language that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used in the Quran. You have access to the same words. You have access to the same letters, right? You have Alif Lam Ra, Alif Lam Mim Ha Mim Yasin. You have all of these letters at, at your disposal. You have all of these letters at your access. So come up, use these letters, and come up with something that is like the Quran. Use these letters and come up with something that is like the Quran. It's a challenge. And no matter how hard anyone tries to come up with something like the Quran, even though you have access to the Arabic language, you have access to the same letters, the same language that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used for the Quran, you have access to that, let, that language and those letters, you will not be able to come up with speech that is like the Quran. No matter how much you try, it will, it will never be like the Quran, right? So this should make you realize that, okay, this has to be the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It cannot be the speech of a human being because even though we have the same letters, we have the same language, we have the same alphabet, we cannot, we cannot make any speech like the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's impossible. It's impossible, right? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings these letters in the beginnings of these surahs, it is a point for us to reflect upon that. These letters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's speech is with these letters. And our speech is also with these letters. But our speech can never compare to the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no comparison, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's bringing that to our attention. And there are many verses in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually, actually very clearly challenged the disbelievers to come up with something like the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That if all of the jinns and all of the human beings, everyone were to come together to try to come up with some speech that is like the Quran, they would never be able to do it, even if they helped each other, even if the human beings helped the jinns and the jinns helped the human beings to come up with something like the Quran, they would fail. They would not be successful, right? In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Am are they saying that he forged it? Are they saying that the Prophet ﷺ is lying upon Allah with this Quran? That's what the kuffar of the Quraysh used to say. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenged them. Then come up with 10 surahs that are like it. Come up with 10 surahs that are like the Quran if you're, if you're really truthful. And of course, they would never be able to do that. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the challenge even less than that, even lighter than that. Okay, you can't do 10 surahs. Come up with one surah that is like it. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, If you are unable to do it, and you will never be able to do it, Allah guarantees that you cannot even come up with one surah that is like the Quran, right? So this is the miraculous nature of the Quran, right? It is in the Arabic language. We also have access to the same letters. We have access to the Arabic language, but still we cannot come up with something that is like the Quran. So that is proof that this is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one of the, one of the uh, interpretations 
that the scholars have regarding these letters, that it's a reminder to you that this is the speech of Allah. Even though you have the same letters in your speech, you will not be able to come up with something that is like the Quran. So this is the benefit that we can derive from these letters, even if we don't know the meaning of them, subhanAllah. The whole Quran is benefit. Every single letter of the Quran, you can get benefit from it, alhamdulillah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts this beautiful surah with alif lam ra. Tilka ayatul kitab al-mubeen. These are the verses of the clear book. The Quran, it is a book of clarity. The Quran has clarified what the truth is and what falsehood is. And it has differentiated, it has separated truth from falsehood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Quran, he has made the truth manifest and he has made falsehood manifest. So whoever wants to follow the path of the truth, it has been made clear for him. And whoever still chooses to follow the path of falsehood, even though it has become clear and apparent, then this person has no one to blame but himself. Allah has clarified everything. That is why one of the other names of the Quran is Al-Furqan. That blessed is the one who sent down Al-Furqan on his servant, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So the Quran is Al-Furqan. Al-Furqan is the one that differentiates or that separates truth and falsehood. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made everything clear in the Quran. He has made what is halal clear. He has made what is haram clear. He has made our obligations clear. He has made his prohibitions clear. All of these things have been made clear in the Quran. So that is why the Quran is known as Al-Kitab Al-Mubeen. The book that gives clarity. It is clear. Tilka ayatul kitab al-mubeen. These are the verses of the clear book. Inna anzalnahu Qur'anan ta'qilun. Surely we sent it down as an Arabic Quran. This Quran is in the Arabic language so that you may understand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the Arabic language to send down his final and his greatest revelation. And the Arabic language is the greatest of all languages. It is the best of all languages and it is the clearest of all languages. So the Quran the beautiful thing about the Quran is that it is the best in every way. No matter which angle you look at the Quran, it is the best in every single way. So the Quran is in the Arabic language. So the Arabic language is the best of languages. The Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the best of the prophets and he is the best of mankind. The Quran was revealed uh, uh, through the angel Jibreel Alayhi Salam. He was the one who came down with the revelation to the Prophet Muhammad Jibreel is the best of the angels. The Quran was first revealed to the Prophet Muhammad in the city of Mecca. Mecca is the best of all cities. It is Ummul Qura. It is the mother of all cities and it is the best of all cities. The Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan. Ramadan is the best of months. The Quran was revealed on Laylatul Qadr. Laylatul Qadr is the best of nights. So everything about the Quran is the best, the best, the best. It was revealed in the best language to the best of prophets, in the best of cities, through the best of angels, in the best of times. Subhanallah. This is the Quran. The best in every single way. So the Arabic language is the best of languages. And the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was an Arab. So of course the Quran is going to come in his language. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا بِلِسَانِ قَوْمِهِ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَهُمْ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he never sent a messenger except that that messenger spoke the language of his people. All of the messengers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to different, different places in different times, they all spoke the language of the local people. So that they could clarify things to them. Right? So this, this is the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah chose him to be an Arab. And he, cho he chose Arabic to be his language. And he revealed the Quran in the Arabic language. So that you may understand. The Arabic language, it's the clearest of languages as well. You know, there are things that you can say in Arabic in a, in a couple of words. Right? And to translate that into another language... Right? It would take like a whole paragraph, right? So 
the one of the beautiful things about the Arabic language is that it is it is so succinct and so uh, concise that you can just use a few words to convey a, a very deep meaning. Whereas in other languages, you would need to use a lot more words to convey that same meaning, right? So one point uh, to mention here regarding this verse, inna anzalnahu Qur'anan Arabiyan, that surely we sent it down as an Arabic Qur'an. The Qur'an is in Arabic. The Qur'an is in Arabic. If someone translates the Qur'an to another language, then this is something good because not everybody knows Arabic. So people, you know, who don't understand Arabic, they need translations to understand. So that's something that's good. But you cannot call a translation of the Quran, the Quran. You cannot call a translation of the Quran, the Quran. And that's why it's a big mistake that some people sometimes make. They say, oh, I, I need a copy of an English Quran. I need an English Quran or I need an Urdu Quran, right? Or I need a French Quran. There's no such thing as an English Quran. There's no French Quran. The Quran is Arabic, right? Those, you know, translations are just that. They are translations of the Quran. But those translations of the Quran, they are not the word of Allah. Whereas the, the actual Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in Arabic, that is actually the literal speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the only thing that we can call the Quran. The actual Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in Arabic, that is his speech and that is the Quran. As for the translations, they are translations of the Quran. So don't say, oh, I need an English Quran. Say, I need an English translation of the Quran. So that's just a subtle point to mention regarding this ayah. Surely we sent it down, we revealed it as an Arabic Quran so that you may understand. Arabic language is a beautiful language. It's a deep language, and it is a language that that can that can affect people in a way that other languages can't. Right. So to have a full understanding, right? To have a full understanding of the Quran, you need to learn Arabic. Right. To have a full, complete, rich understanding of the Quran, you cannot just rely on translations. If you want the full experience of really understanding the Quran, the only way to do that is to actually learn the Arabic language. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to do that. All right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ وَإِن كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is saying that we reveal to you the best of stories. We tell you the best of stories. We narrate to you the best of stories. So this surah, it contains the best of all stories. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned many stories in the Quran. The story of Musa alayhi salam, you can find it throughout many surahs of the Quran. Uh, the story of Hud alayhi salam, Salih alayhi salam, Lut alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam. Right? You will find these stories or pieces of these stories in different surahs of the Quran. But the best story, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, the best story is this story that is in this surah. And that is the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Right? نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he narrates the best story, the best of stories from what he has sent down or from what he has revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this Quran. وَإِن كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ And before this, before Allah told you this story, you did not know about this story. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Allah is narrating the best story to you, the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Allah is giving you this knowledge. Allah is telling you this beautiful story. And before Allah told you this story, you were unaware of this story. You didn't know about this story. So this is a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gets right into narrating the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِ يَا أَبَتِي إِنِّي رَأَيْتُ أَحَدَ عَشَرَ كَوْكَبًا وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ رَأَيْتُهُمْ لِي سَاجِدِينَ Yusuf alayhi salam, he had a dream. And the Mufassirin have mentioned that Yusuf alayhi salam was 12 years old. So he was still a kid, not even a teenager yet. He was 12 years old when he had this amazing dream. And he went ahead and told his dad about this dream that he had. 
إذ قال يوسف لأبيه when Yusuf told his father or said to his father يا أبتي oh my father إني رأيت أحد عشر كوكب surely I saw in my dream eleven stars the word كوكب in modern Arabic the word كوكب is usually it it refers to a planet but if you look at you know the old usage in classical Arabic the word كوكب it's referring to stars right so his dream was that he saw Eleven stars. Inni ra'aytu ahada ashara kawkaban. I saw eleven stars. Washamsa wal qamara. And I saw the sun and the moon. Ra'aytuhum li sajideen. All of these I saw making sujood to me. I saw them prostrating to me. So I saw eleven stars and the sun and the moon all making sujood to me. This was the dream of this twelve-year-old boy, Yusuf alayhi salam. So he goes to his father, Ya'qub alayhi salam. And Ya'qub alayhi salam, he's a prophet of Allah. Ya'qub alayhi salam is a prophet of Allah. And one of the gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this prophet of Allah is that he had the ability to interpret dreams. So when, when Yusuf alayhi salam told his father, Ya'qub alayhi salam, about this dream, Ya'qub alayhi salam understood what this dream meant. He understood the meaning of this dream. But before he told Yusuf alayhi salam the meaning of the dream, before interpreting the dream for Yusuf alayhi salam, first he gave Yusuf alayhi salam an instruction and an advice. Before even telling him what the dream meant, he said, قَالَ يَا لَا تَقْصُصُ رُؤْيَاكَ عَلَىٰ إِخْوَتِكَ he said, Oh, my dear son, Ya Bunaya, do not tell your brothers about this dream. Yaqub, uh, the father of Yusuf, he was worried. He was worried about what would happen if Yusuf, brothers, found out about this amazing dream that Yusuf had. So, the first thing, even before telling him the meaning of the dream, he said, Do not narrate this dream to your brothers don't tell your brothers about this dream because if you do that they will plot against you they will be so jealous that you had this dream instead of them that their jealousy will lead them to try to hurt you that they will try to harm you they will plot against you out of their jealousy surely the shaitan he's a clear enemy to man so the shaitan, he puts these feelings of jealousy in the hearts of people. And when a person becomes jealous, it consumes him. It burns him up so much that why did this person get this thing and I didn't get it, right? And it may lead this person to try to hurt the person whom he is jealous of, right? And the shaitan himself, Iblis himself, he's actually the first example that we have of a person or, or of a creation that was destroyed by jealousy. Iblis from the jinns, right? He was someone who was in the company of the angels. Iblis, at one point, he was so pious and so righteous that he used to hang out with the angels. So when the command came to the angels to make sujood to Adam alayhi salam, وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ أُسْجُدُوا لِآدَمْ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا Iblis. That... When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the angels to make sujood to Adam alayhi salam, the angels, they all fulfilled this command and they all made sujood to Adam alayhi salam. But Iblis did it. Iblis refused to do it. Why did he refuse to do it? Because of his jealousy. He was jealous that why has this new creation, this human being, why has he been given such a great honor and such a great status that Allah is even commanding the angels to make sujood to him? Why has he been given this status and I have not been given this status? He actually said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm better than him. You created me out of fire. You created him out of mud. Right? So it was jealousy on the part of Iblis that caused him to refuse to submit to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because of that, that arrogance and that jealousy and that hatred, Iblis was doomed. He was cursed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Upon you is my curse until the day of judgment. SubhanAllah. So the jealousy of Iblis towards our father Adam alayhi salam, it led to Iblis being cursed. 
and it led to Iblis becoming the enemy of Adam السلام, and all of the children of Adam That is why Iblis, shaitan, is our enemy. In many places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the shaitan is your enemy. Right? The shaitan is your enemy. He's the enemy of mankind. And why is he our enemy? Because he's jealous. He's jealous of the position that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to human beings, right? So jealousy, look how destructive it can be. Look at what it did to Iblis. Look at what Hasad did to Iblis, how it destroyed him, right? So Yaqub alayhi salam understands how destructive jealousy can be. And he fears that the brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, if they know about his dream, that they will be jealous. So he tells Yusuf alayhi salam, do not tell your brothers about this dream. Because if you do, لَكَكَيْدَ, that they will plot against you due to their jealousy. And then Yaqub reminds Yusuf. He reminds his 12-year-old son that surely the shaitan, he's an enemy of man. So if you tell this dream to your brothers, the shaitan, he may put this hasad or this, this jealousy and this envy in their hearts, and that's going to cause them to do something bad to you. So just don't tell them about this dream. So that's the advice and the instruction that he gave to Yusuf before interpreting the dream. Then he went ahead and he told Yusuf what this dream meant. He gave him the interpretation of the dream. The interpretation of this dream, what this dream means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to choose you. Allah is going to choose you. Allah will choose you and he will raise your status by making you a prophet. At this time, Yusuf he was only 12 years old. He had not been given prophethood yet. But this dream, it was a sign that Yusuf would be given prophethood. So Allah is going to choose you. He's going to make you a prophet. And he is going to teach you the interpretation of dreams. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give you the knowledge of how to interpret people's dreams. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will complete his favor upon you and on the family of Yaqub. By making Yusuf alayhi salam a prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving a great favor to Yusuf alayhi salam. Allah is great, giving a great favor to Yusuf alayhi salam by making him a prophet. And he's also giving a great favor to Yaqub alayhi salam by making his son Yusuf alayhi salam a prophet. A person who is a prophet, that's Yaqub alayhi salam, his son also becoming a prophet, that is an honor for the son and it's also an honor for the father. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will complete his favor on you and upon the family of Yaqub. By making Yusuf alayhi salam a prophet, this is a favor upon Yusuf alayhi salam and it is a favor upon the Ali Yaqub. It is a favor upon the family of Yaqub. Just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completed his favor upon your fathers before you, Ibrahim and Ishaq. Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was given prophethood. And his son was also given prophethood. Ishaq alayhi salam. And also Ismail alayhi salam. Ishaq alayhi salam was honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was made a prophet. And he was also honored by having his son as a prophet as well. The son of Ishaq is Yaqub alayhi salam. So Ishaq alayhi salam was a prophet and his son is also a prophet. Now, up to this point in time, when this conversation between Yaqub and Yusuf is going on. At this point, Yaqub is a prophet, but none of his sons are prophets at this point. But this dream, it was a glad tiding to Yaqub that just like Ibrahim was given his son as a prophet and Ishaq was given his son as a prophet, now you, Yaqub, your son is also going to become a prophet as well. So it, it's a completion upon uh, the, this favor is given to the family of Yaqub like it was given to the family of Ibrahim and the family of Ishaq. So it's a completion of this great favor. Surely your Lord, he is the one who has all knowledge and all wisdom. Now, Yusuf alayhi salam, 
he has a great honor that he was a prophet, the son of a prophet, the son of a prophet, the son of a prophet. Yusuf, Ibn Ya'qub, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Ibrahim, four generations straight of prophets. So that is why our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he was asked, he was asked by one of the companions, Ya Rasulullah, man akramun nas. Oh, Messenger of Allah, who is the most honorable? Who is the most honorable of the people? And then he mentioned Yusuf alayhi salam. He mentioned Yusuf alayhi salam because he was a prophet and his father was a prophet and his grandfather was a prophet and his great-grandfather was also a prophet. So he, he called Yusuf alayhi salam. Our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam called Yusuf alayhi salam. He said Yusuf alayhi salam is Al-Kareem ibn Al-Kareem ibn Al-Kareem ibn Al-Kareem. The honorable one, the son of the honorable one, who is the son of the honorable one, who is the son of the honorable one? Yeah, uh, Yusuf, Ibn Ya'qub, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Ibrahim. Four generations of prophet. Right? So that's a great favor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Yusuf alayhi salam and the family of uh, Yusuf alayhi salam and the family of Ya'qub alayhi salam. So this was the interpretation of the dream. That Allah would make Yusuf alayhi salam a prophet. Allah would teach Yusuf alayhi salam how to interpret dreams. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would complete the favor upon the family of Ya'qub by making the son of Ya'qub a prophet, just like he made the son of Ibrahim a prophet and the son of Ishaq a prophet as well, right? So this was the interpretation of this amazing dream. Inna rabbaka alimun hakim. Surely your Lord, he is the one who has all knowledge and he is the one who has all wisdom. Then in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he continues with the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. He says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي يُوسُفَ Surely in the uh, story of Yusuf and his brothers, there are signs for those who ask, right? So who are those who ask? There were actually some people who asked the Prophet Muhammad They asked the Prophet Muhammad why Bani Israel moved from Philistine to Egypt, right? Bani Israel, where were they originally from? They were from Philistine. They were from Philistine, right? But if you read the story of Musa alayhi salam, which happened, you know, many generations later, where were Bani Israel at that time? Were they in Philistine? No. During the time of Fir'aun, where were Bani Israel? They were in Egypt. So how did this, how did this, this transfer happen? Why were Bani Israel originally in Philistine, but then during the time of Musa السلام, they, they were in Egypt? How did this move happen, right? So some, some people actually asked the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, about this. Why did Bani Israel move from Philistine to Egypt? And this surah is the answer to that question. This surah answers how Bani Israel ended up in Egypt. At the beginning of the story, they're in Philistine, right? When Yusuf السلام, has this dream and he tells Ya'qub about this dream, where does this take place? This takes place in Philistine, right? But then later on in the story, you will see how they end up in Egypt. Yusuf السلام, first ends up in Egypt and then the whole family eventually ends up in Egypt and they remain there for generations. Then eventually, you know, Musa السلام, takes them back out of Egypt and, you know, they return, they eventually return to Philistine. Right, so we'll, we'll get into that inshallah later on in the surah. But this question was posed to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam: Why did Bani Israel move from Philistine to Egypt? And this surah answers that question. So Allah subhanahu wa taala now He's telling us about the brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, and you know you can you can get an idea of how jealous they were, what Yaqub alayhi salam was afraid of that they would try to harm Yusuf alayhi salam or they would try to do something to Yusuf alayhi salam because of their jealousy, that is exactly what they did. What Ya'qub alayhi salam was afraid of, it's exactly what happened, right? So the brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, how many brothers did he have? He had 11 brothers. He had 11 brothers. 10 of those brothers were from different uh, mothers than the mother of Yusuf alayhi salam. So 10 of them were basically mothers from the father. Uh, they, they were brothers from the father's side. They had the same father. Yaqub was the father of all of them. But 10 of those brothers did not have the same 
uh, mother as Yusuf alayhi salam. One of those 11 brothers was the full brother of Yusuf alayhi salam, meaning he had the same father and the same mother. And that brother's name was Bin Yamin. And Bin Yamin was actually younger than Yusuf alayhi salam. The other brothers, the other 10 brothers, they were older than Yusuf alayhi salam. Right? And Bin Yamin was the only brother that was younger than Yusuf alayhi salam. So the brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, 10 of the brothers, not all 11, but 10 of them, they were the ones who were very jealous of Yusuf alayhi salam. Bin Yamin, he had nothing to do with the, pl the plot of these brothers. Because remember, at this time, Yusuf alayhi salam is only 12 years old. He's just a kid. He's only 12 years old. So that means Bin Yamin is even younger than 12 years old. So Bin Yamin is a kid. Right, And he was not involved in the plots and the plans and the jealousy and all of this stuff. Right, It was the 10 older brothers who were involved in all of these plots. All right. So what was their plot? What did they plan to do out of their jealousy? They said, They said that, look, Yusuf and his brother. What do they mean by his brother? It means by Yusuf's, Yusuf and his full brother, Binyamin. So they said, Yusuf and Binyamin, they are more beloved to our father, Ya'qub than us. He loves them more than he loves us. Even though we are a big group, we're 10 and they're just two. We're 10 and we're big and we're strong. And, you know, we can help him out more with physical work and this and that. Those two are just little kids. But still, he loves them more than he loves us. So they had this jealousy. They felt that he should love them more than he loves Yusuf and Binyamin because they, they thought that they were the ones who were, who were stronger and that they thought they were the ones who were more useful to their father. So they said, why, why does he love them more than he loves us? So they were very jealous about this. Why does he love Yusuf and Binyamin more than he loves us? And they actually said, Inna Surely our father, he is, he is wrong about this, that he loves Yusuf and Binyamin so much compared to, to how he loves us. He's wrong. Inna He is astray in this type of thinking that he, that he has more affection towards them than he has towards us. So what did they decide to do? So see how jealous they are? So it wasn't, it wasn't just jealousy in their mind. They actually decided to act upon this jealousy. They, they were so jealous, so full of envy towards Yusuf salam, that they wanted to get him out of the picture. They thought to themselves, if he's not in the picture anymore, then that love that, that was going to Yusuf salam, instead it will come to us. This is what they thought, right? So they plotted. They said, we need to get Yusuf salam, out of our, our father's uh, out of the picture of our father and then that love that he showed to Yusuf salam, it will come to us instead so this is the way they plot so what did they decide to do look and, and you can see now how destructive jealousy can be how jealousy can lead someone to do really horrible things now these brothers of Yusuf salam, remember they're all believers they believe in Allah they are people of Tawheed they're sons of a prophet it's not like they're idol worshippers or they're mushrikeens or they're kufar. No, they're all believers, right? But even though they were believers, they believe in Allah and they worship Allah alone, right? Even though they were believers, still their jealousy led them to plan to do something that was very, very evil, right? Even though they were believers. Usually when we think about, you know, evil and people who do evil, we think about, you know, disbelievers. Oh, mushrikeen, yeah, they do that. Kufar, they do that. But these guys, they were believers. They were Muslims, right? And their father is a prophet. But still, because of that jealousy, jealousy, it, it, it clouds a person's judgment. Even if a person is a believer, if he has hasad, if he has jealousy, it can lead him to do things that are not befitting for a believer to do. So this was the situation of these 10 brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, right? He had 11 brothers, but Binyamin is not included in this plotting. 10 brothers who were planning to get rid of Yusuf alayhi salam. Okay, so what do they need to do to get rid of him? So they had a meeting basically. All of these 10 brothers, they sit together and they discuss what can we do to get the attention of our father? What can we do to, to get the love of our father away from Yusuf and upon us? So they have a discussion. Basically, they sit together and they start, they start talking. 
and they, they start discussing different possibilities of what they can do to attain this objective. So one of them actually goes so far to say, Yusuf. let's kill him. Let's get rid of him once and for all. Let's kill him and then, you know, we, we will be free of him. So look, this is a, a son of a prophet. This is a believer in Allah. And he's talking about murdering his own brother. Right? How can a believer think like this? This is, this is what hasad can do to a person. This is what envy can do to a person. It can lead a person to do very evil things. You know, it's, it's almost like a person who is under the influence of, of, of drugs or alcohol, right? A person would never think about doing certain things, but once he starts drinking or once he starts, you know, shooting up and doing drugs and stuff, he will do things that he never would have done otherwise. So jealousy can be like a drug. Hasad, it can eat a person up and cloud his judgment and cause him to do, you know, evil things that, that, that he wouldn't have done otherwise, right? So it, really this surah, it highlights the, the danger of envy. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to clear our hearts from jealousy and to clear our hearts from envy. And when we see some blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon uh, our brothers or our sisters, we feel happy for them instead of feeling jealous. Right? And some of the ulama have said that a person who has hasad, the person who has envy towards another person, it's like this person is upset with Allah or he's disagreeing with Allah. Because who is the one who gave that person that you're jealous of? Who is the one who gave him that blessing? Allah gave him that blessing. So basically when you're jealous of a person, you're thinking like, why did Allah give that person that blessing and he didn't give it to me? I wish that that blessing did not come to that person and that blessing came to me instead. So basically you are showing your objection to the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you're jealous of another person, basically you're showing that you object or you disagree with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done, right? So that's serious. That's not something to take lightly, right? So that's what hasad really is. So it's, it's a really terrible disease. Jealousy is a very, very uh, horrible disease of the heart. And, you know, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to clean our hearts from any type of, of jealousy towards others, right? But this is what it can lead a person to do. They said, Yusuf. let's kill Yusuf. Or let's just, you know, throw him in some far away land. And if we do this, if we get rid of Yusuf, either by killing him or either by just throwing him off in some far away land, then we'll be rid of him and we will have the face of our father for ourselves. All of his love, all of his affection, all of his attention we will get to have it. We will not be deprived of it anymore. And this is a very interesting point that they mentioned here. They said to themselves that we'll do this evil thing. We'll kill Yusuf or we'll throw him off in a far land. But then after we do this crime, after that, we will become righteous people. We will repent to Allah for what we did. And we will be good from then on. So we're going to do this one last evil thing. But then after that, we're going to become good, right? So they were planning to commit a sin and then also planning to repent from that sin after committing it, right? This was, you know, this was uh, the, the way that they were thinking. So they were believers, you know, they, they knew that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not like what they were doing, but they thought, let's just do it anyways. And then afterwards, we will repent and, uh, and, and we will become righteous after that, right? That's not a good way to think because... You know, uh, repentance, maybe you're not going to get a chance to repent. Don't ever think like, okay, I'm going to commit this sin, but then I'm going to repent later on, right? And there are a lot of young people sometimes who think like that. They think that, okay, you know, I'm young right now. I can enjoy my life by doing all of these haram things. And then, you know, when I get old, then I'm going to become righteous and I'm going to repent. A lot, you know, you'd be surprised. A lot of young people, they actually do think like this. You know, you while I'm while while I'm I'm strong and I'm healthy and I can enjoy my life, I'm gonna do these haram things. But you know, then when I get older, then I'm gonna go make hajj and I'm going to repent. And you know, they they make these type of plans to disobey Allah for now, but then repent later on. But who knows? Who knows if you're gonna get a chance to repent later on? Who knows when your time is gonna come? When you're gonna die? And sometimes when a person continues to sin he loses the ability to make tawbah afterwards. He becomes so accustomed to the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he can't bring himself to repent at the end, right? 
So never make this type of a plan. Like, okay, I'm going to disobey Allah now, and I'm going to, I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to repent later on. Don't, don't think like this. This is a very dangerous way of thinking. And you know, people who think like this, it's almost like they think that they can trick Allah, or they can, they can basically, you know, bypass the rules of Allah. They can get around the rules of Allah. Like, okay. As long as I, I I live the last part of my life good and I repent at the end of, of my life, Allah will repent me for Allah will forgive me for what I'm doing now. So let me enjoy now and then I'm going to repent later. Basically, a person who thinks like this is trying to basically circumvent uh, the rules of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So you can't trick Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, right? So we have to make sure that we 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 constantly live lives of obedience to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And uh, don't don't sin and think that okay I'm going to repent later on. This is not uh, a right way of thinking. So we have to be careful about that, right? So this is what they plan to do. Uh, the oldest one from amongst them, he said, "No, killing him that's too much." So he had at least he had some sense that killing him that's way too far. Yeah, we want we all want to get rid of him, but. We cannot murder him. That's just, that's just that's just going way too far. So One of them said, or and, and the Mufassirin have mentioned this was the oldest one, and his name was Yehuda. He said, No, 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 we cannot kill him. Instead, we can just take him out and throw him at the bottom of a well. There were a lot of wells, right? That's how people used to get their water. Travelers traveling through Philistine, you know, they would stop at these wells and they would pick water from the wells and then they would continue on their way. So Yehuda, the oldest brother of Yusuf alayhi salam, he said, we're not going to kill him. We'll just take him to one of these wells and we'll throw him in the well. And some caravan is eventually going to be passing through to get water. They will pull him out and, you know, they'll take him with them. They can do whatever they want, but we will be rid of him, but we can't kill him. So that was the plan of Yehuda. And this is what was agreed upon by all of the brothers. They said, uh, the, the, the oldest one, Yehuda, he said, لا تقتلوا يوسف وألقوه في غيابة الجب يلتقطه بعض السيارة إن كنتم فاعلين. That don't kill Yusuf, but let's just throw him at the bottom of a well. Some caravan is going to pass by. Uh, and that's what we should do. And that is what they agreed upon doing. That was what they all decided to do. They unanimously agreed that yes, this is the step that we're going to take. So then the next thing after making this decision is to get Yusuf alayhi salam and to convince, convince Yaqub alayhi salam to let Yusuf alayhi salam go out with them for a day trip, right? So now they have to convince Yaqub alayhi salam to let them, to trust them with Yusuf alayhi salam on a day trip, right? And inshallah, we will talk about that next week, how they took permission from Yaqub alayhi salam and how they actually... Uh, implemented this evil plot that they plotted against their brother. We'll talk about that next week, bi'ithnillah, and we'll, we'll stop there for today, bi'ithnillah. Uh, we have time for maybe a couple of questions. If anyone has any questions, we can take a couple of questions, and uh, then we'll, we'll call it a night, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Wa barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.